Hey everyone, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress Pod. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We are back at it again with another episode. Um, we're very, very excited for this episode, as we always are. I mean, this is, I say this every single time. But yeah, we literally say that every we're episode. For this episode. <laughs> we like all the topics that we cover, so it's it's always true. Um, but before we jump into what we have for you today, uh, Liv, what was the best part of your week? Um, first of all, I just thought that was funny. Like, <laughs> so we true. love all of our own episodes. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. But so my favorite part of the week this past week, it was a nice holiday weekend. It was July 4th on Monday. So, um, I got to have a long weekend and that was just so nice. I haven't had a long weekend in a hot minute. Um, and I ended up taking off Friday as well because I wanted a longer weekend. (laughs) Um, I wanted a longer weekend than the long weekend. So I had like four days off in a row, which like, I can't remember the last time I had four days off in a row. It was probably like last year when I went on vacation, honestly. So yeah. So that was just really nice. It's nice to just like have some time to actually relax. I finally went to the store and bought a book to read for fun. What? Like the shocker (laughs) of that. Um, but anyway, And that was really nice. Like I literally had time to read Mm -hmm. just for fun. Like no one understands how crazy that is until you try to like have a master's degree and be married and work full time and have community and volunteer church and (laughs) all those things. Meanwhile, my sister is also getting married in October and I'm her maid of honor. So I'm also like trying to plan like her bridal shower and her bachelorette party and like all that kind of stuff. So it's been a little crazy. So it was very nice to just like have a little bit of time um, to just chill, like have fun. We did some fun stuff, hung out with friends and yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I love reading for fun. I mean, we've talked about this before. I feel like when you're in, when you're in school, a lot of the joy kind of gets taken out of reading because you're just constantly reading textbooks and journal articles and research yes. and everyone else's dialogue posts and you're rereading your own writing before you submit all your papers. So it just the thought of reading for fun is just non-existent for me whenever yeah. I was pursuing a degree. Uh, but when that's done, I have, I have a very long list of books that need to be read, TV shows that need to be watched. Yeah. No, for sure. I definitely, I love reading. I have always loved reading. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I was younger and I had more time on my hands, mm-hmm. I read all the time. Like I loved yeah. reading. I was a reading girl. I just, <laughs> it was fun for me. And lately I've just been like craving reading a fiction book mm-hmm. because like you said, I have been reading textbooks and very philosophical books or in my undergrad scientific books Mm -hmm. for years now. And I don't think I've actually just read like an easy read fictional entertaining book for actually years, like probably when I was a teenager, like, because I just, anytime that I've tried, I've been like, okay, I don't have time for this. I need to do school. So like, Yeah. yeah. So it was just really nice. I read like a kind of murder mystery type book. It was like, Super entertaining, really fun. So, but yes, that was the best part of my week. What was the best part of yours? Yeah, it was fun. A long weekend for 4th of July, kind of just hung out with family. Uh, I feel like the only one who didn't like go to the pool or go to the beach on, over the weekend. I feel like everybody oh, else did. Yeah, I didn't because I don't know, whatever it is, because I'm crazy. But 
um, it was just really fun. I, I definitely ate too much food. I think I could say that a lot of people would say that, Me but too. you know, it's 4th of July. It's the celebration of our nation's birthday. Like what else are you going to do except stuff your face and swim or not swim, just spend time outside. So mm-hmm. that was really fun. Uh, that was really main thing. Just getting to hang out with family and just relax and yeah, take some time away from school and work just to just be present with people. So that was really fun. That was my yeah. 4th of July weekend. That's always good. I mean, honestly, though, I feel like the food is part of the best part of any holiday. That is know? true. Like, it's it's definitely a huge part of it. I went to, we went to, like, a 4th of July party at our friend's house. Mm-hmm. And there was so much food. I literally, <laughs> there were so many people there. And I yeah. think we only ate, like, half of it. Like, yeah. It was so much food and someone brought this like incredible dessert that had like strawberries and this like kind of sugary cream cheese type filling. And then it had like a crust on the bottom. So almost like a cheesecake, but it was like a little bit more casual than that, I guess. Yeah. If you will. And it was so good. I kept going back for more and being like, I need to stop eating this. <laughs> I need to stop eating this, but it was just so yummy. So okay. Holidays is where it's at. That's where, and then yes. on Monday you hit the gym. That's how it works. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, uh, we're excited to jump into this episode. I kind of wanted to provide a little bit of context for why we're talking about this topic. Uh, so if you haven't seen from the title already, we're going to be talking about foster care and adoption today. And this was actually first suggested on Instagram. I think I remember by somebody on Instagram when we were asking for topic ideas. We first mm-hmm. launched our Instagram account and then we started the podcast. And I, I remember both of us just saying, that's a really great topic. We definitely need to cover that. And when Liv and I were talking about this last week, just kind of trying to figure out what we wanted to cover this week, that that topic kind of just jumped out at us. And for good reason, because right now, I feel like tensions and emotions are pretty high with the recent Dobbs v. Jackson decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, which overruled the landmark Roe v. Wade abortion case from 1973. And I'm sure that you guys have had extensive conversations with your loved ones about it. Um, we have conversations, I pray, that were productive and uncivil, even though abortion is definitely a very divisive topic. Uh, Liv and I both have our opinions on abortion and But that's not really what we wanted to cover today. We kind of wanted to diverge from that a little bit, not because the conversation of abortion is not important, but because we want to kind of approach this topic from a different angle, hopefully in a refreshing way, in a way that's encouraging and edifying to you. Um, Just because, I mean, right now there's just no shortage of opinions and voices that are online on social media or uh, from your, you know, your loved ones, wherever it is that it's just, it's floating around everywhere. It's kind of overwhelming. Um, and so uh, what we really wanted to do today is kind of flip that side of the coin and provide a discussion of the foster care system and adoption, because it's a really important part of the conversation on, on abortion. Um, it's really connected, even though it is, it's, it's separate thing. Um, so we wanted to break from that a little bit important as it may be just to turn our attention to something else. Um, As I mentioned, we want to encourage and edify you with this conversation. Um, There is work to be done, but great things are also happening. Um, I myself am actually adopted, and I'm one of many adopted children in my family. So I have a lot of personal experience with this. Uh, So we will also be sharing our testimonies and just kind of our connection to foster care and adoption near the end of this episode. So 
we're just very excited to jump into this topic, both from a biblical understanding, but then also just kind of discussing what does the foster care system look like in the U.S. right now? You know, what are things we can do about it? Just kind of an overarching uh, discussion on it. So, uh, Liv, if you wanted to kind of give us a little bit of a theological understanding of of adoption, what does the Bible tell us about adoption? Yeah, I think it's easy to kind of assume that this is something that the Bible doesn't really talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I know with like the topic of abortion, of course, that has come up a lot recently. Yeah, (laughs) Some people are celebrating, some people are not celebrating, (laughs) Um, you know, so it's like there are very many opinions on it. And I think, as we've said in other episodes, when it comes to any topic, we want to always bring it back to scripture. You know, we always Mm -hmm. want to turn back to the source of all truth. Um, And, you know, again, we're not here really to talk about abortion today because we don't really want to add to the noise Mm -hmm. um, at this time. I think when it comes to topics like that, that can be so divisive and so um, controversial. Mm -hmm. It's great to talk about them. It's really important to talk about them and have conversations and understand others' points of view and, um, you know, also take a stand on where we stand on it as well. Like if we need to, um, you know, for our own reasons. However, I think when people are just kind of shouting their opinions at each other from either side, no one's really listening. Like everyone just wants to kind of say their piece and they don't really want to like have a conversation. Um, and I think, we don't want to butt into that mm-hmm. right now, which is what's mm-hmm. happening, you know, so we don't want to like add to that. We'd rather wait until another time to talk about it. You know, I'm sure we will actually at some point here because yeah. it's an important topic to both of us, but I think, you know, that's something we don't really want to talk about right now. So yeah. just wanted to say that really quick, but when it comes to adoption itself um, and the foster care system and everything, we kind of wanted to just go back to scripture and see like, what does the Bible say about adoption? Um, you know, what does it say about that process, like biblically, theologically, not just like, you know, in today's day and age. So um, I wanted to read a verse from James uh, it's chapter one, verses 26 and 27. Um, so it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, so going off of this verse, we just kind of wanted to ask the question, like, why is this faith so pure? Um, you might think like this has nothing to do with adoption, but it does. We'll get there. Just hold on. <laughs> so kind of going off this first, it's because someone helping an orphan and a widow is doing something in love without expecting anything in return. Of course, this has to do with, you know, our hearts towards the orphan and the widow, towards adoption, towards foster care and those things. Um, Because the the orphan and the widow, especially in this scenario that I was talking about specifically, can't offer anything back in compensation, but the Christ follower still chooses to love and serve them. So this is the attitude that we should definitely have as believers towards those who we can help, who we can offer aid to. Um, we should definitely have the heart to want to love them, to serve them, to help them, even if it means that we're not going to get anything in return, even if it means that uh, we're honestly only going to have something you know, taken from us, whether that be our time or our attention or um, money, you know, what have you. So um, did you have any thoughts on that specifically, Allison? It's a really great reminder of our purpose as the church, like what we're called to 
being salt and light and being set apart from the rest of the world because the world tells you that you should do something because it will earn you something in return, whether it's mm-hmm. status or wealth, or, I mean, really it could be anything that you're wanting to earn from doing something. But again, this is a selfless act. And there's right. actually many times in scripture, there's a couple more we'll go through later, but many times in scripture in which the one that follows God, whether it's in the old Testament, you know, following the Yahweh or in the new Testament, those who were called Christians, whoever was following God was called to do things that were selfless, was called to serve people who could offer nothing in return. And that is no different from what we're being called to right now as the church, as the body of Christ to be set apart and to be um, helping people that, that truly just need it and are in destitute situations. Uh, and again, with this verse, it's just a reminder that this man has an undefiled faith because it's dedicated to God alone, because he's stirring mm-hmm. up his treasures in heaven. And that's what he's commanded to do is to, is to love uh, the orphan and the widow. And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, I would like to see a Christian not kept in a glass case away from the trial and temptation, but yet covered with an invisible shield so that wherever he went, he would be guarded and protected from the evil influences that are in the world in almost every place. And what he's really saying here is that the Christian is still going into that, that darkness. He's walking straight down into the trial and temptation, but yet he has that shield, the shield of faith, and he has the scriptures and the Holy Spirit within him to keep him from falling into the temptations, but still shedding the light. So instead of letting the darkness overcome his flame, his light continues to carry through that darkness. And it's just a really beautiful picture of how we can still keep doing that today, even though there is a lot of darkness, there is a lot of brokenness in the world that we do see in the foster care system and through process of adoption. It's um, definitely dark and has its, definitely has just its darkness to it. And so just a reminder who we are as Christians, who we're supposed to be, not to be of the world, but in the world and, and shedding light. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely speaks to like our purpose as individual mm-hmm. believers, but then also like as the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, so moving from that, we kind of wanted to talk more specifically about where we find adoption in the Bible. So like, what is the concept of adoption from the Bible itself? Um, so there are quite a few places that you can find this talked about, but I think like the main collection of verses or the main passage that we see adoption mentioned and described in the Bible is in Ephesians 1, um, verses 3 through 14. So um, I'm just going to read that, honestly, because it's really not that long. (laughs) The verses are pretty short. It's just like a paragraph. So just starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Such a good passage. It really is. Also a very run-on sentence. It is. <laughs> it is. I mean, doesn't really follow the rules of English grammar. No, most Pauline literature is very much like that. <laughs> very true. <laughs> it's just very run-on. But a lot of great points. Um, for short, it basically just talks about, um, in short, if I lost you there a little bit, um, just the fact that as believers, we are God's children. So he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And when it says sons there, that is referring to all of mankind. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. referring to like men. <laughs> and, you know, it talks about our inheritance, which is something that children get, you know, from their parents, right. um, which, you know, in this, in this case is, um, you know, eternal life, salvation, um, so that we can truly glorify him in mm-hmm. that. So um, that's kind of one of the main places that we see adoption mentioned. And the Greek word for adoption actually here, um, which we see in verse five, is uiothesia. It's really like interesting. Yeah. Um, so translated in this specific verse, it's as divine adoption as sons. Um, so it's not even just like the word adoption. It literally talks about like the divine adoption mm-hmm. as sons. So God's adoption of us as his children. So I just thought that was interesting. How it's not just like mm-hmm. one word. It's kind of more like a phrase. Right. Um, it's translated in other places as a phrase as well. It like usually includes the word sons as well. To kind of go off of uh, that last verse, just to kind of support the fact that it is mentioned in the Bible more than once. Um, we also see adoption mentioned in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4, 5. Um, so just to read a couple of those verses as well. Uh, Romans 8, 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, Romans 8, 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then Galatians 4, 5 says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, so it's definitely mentioned quite a few times throughout the new, the new Testament specifically, um, just talking about believers as adopted into the family of God. Um, before I move on, did you have thoughts on that and those verses? Sure. I think it's really interesting that, that as Christians were adopted, because if you really think about the word of what we understand it in English, is the understanding that that was not your original family. Like that's not the family you were um, genetically were like birthed from. Like, I don't even know what's the best way to say that, but essentially that wasn't your original family. Um, But here that we see our adoption into God's family is actually even more real and more eternal than the one that we have on earth. Like, I mean, we like, we may have our birth parents here. That may be the family that we belong to here, but the one that actually matters and lasts, not that family here is not important, not at all to say that, but our eternal inheritance, our eternal destiny, our internal, eternal, wherever we're going, it's that. So it's just mm-hmm. kind of interesting to think about how that, that kind of overcomes whatever we experience here in this life, because what it does is um, it takes away the pressure from a family here on earth to be perfect. And then it also takes away the shame if your family isn't perfect, because you know that here on earth, that things aren't going to last forever. So it's kind of an encouragement, I think, both to people that have like a really great home life. And then also it's encouraging, I think, to people that don't, 
Like, yeah, because ultimately, you know, where you're going eternally, that is your destiny forever. So it, it's encouraging to me, at least. Yeah, well, yeah, because it kind of reflects like any relationship here on earth reflects a more important relationship, whether that be with God or between, you know, Jesus and the church, um, you know, what have you. So um, like we see marriage, you know, reflects Jesus and his bride, you know, um, I think it's kind of the same thing where like our family reflects the the perfect church, you know, um, but here on earth in an imperfect place with imperfect people, which will eventually be perfected, um, you know, at the end of our lives here on earth, at the end of our time here. But I did also want to kind of talk about um, just the fact that the way that we see adoption presented throughout scripture also kind of tells us more about who God is. Yeah. Um, so children are often presented as a marginalized group in society in the Bible, um, just like women and children, you know, kind of were seen in that day as like maybe not as important, more like uh, seen but not heard kind of thing. But God prevent uh, or provides provisions for them. Um, and we can see that throughout the scriptures. One of the places that we see it very prominently is in the Psalms. Um, so in Psalms 68, five through six, it says father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parsh land. Uh, Psalm 82, three says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Psalm 10, 18 says to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man it, uh, who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And Psalm 27, 10 says for my father, and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Um, so we kind of see like throughout scripture, of course, but definitely in these verses specifically, just the fact that God is a heavenly father to the fatherless, that he cares about um, you know, those who have been marginalized, those who have seemingly been forsaken by any earthly companions or any earthly family. Um, he is the provider for them to be with them, to not leave them alone, not to leave them by themselves, um, but to provide for them in that. And also we see that through the Holy Spirit. Like when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come in its absence. He says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So I think that's kind of like an interesting way to put it. So the word used here when he describes um, that he will not leave them as orphans um, in the Greek, it is the word orphanos, which, or orphanos, which makes sense because it literally sounds like orphans. <laughs> I'm sure we got the word from that because <laughs> we got a lot of our words in English from Greek. Um, Fun fact, but basically in uh, the translation of that word, it is only used twice um, throughout the New Testament. So in uh, John 14, 18, but then also in James 1, 27. Um, and it is translated in a couple different ways, obviously as orphans. Um, that's the most prominent way that it's translated, but it's also translated as comfortless or fatherless. Mm. Um, so we kind of see that fatherless again, Um just like we see in the Psalms um, that he is there for the fatherless, that he is the heavenly father to them. And I also like that it says comfortless because I feel like it just reminds me of second Corinthians one, where it talks about God as the God of all comfort. So like, he will not leave you comfortless. He won't leave you alone. He won't leave you fatherless. He won't leave you without guidance basically. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. 
something I kind of wanted to mention about the Psalms passages. And when you were talking about children being a marginalized group in society, because I, I think that's still kind of a parallel that we're seeing here. And one thing that really jumps out to me about those verses is the continued re- repetition of fatherless. And there is one where it says my father and mother have forsaken me, but most of the other verses just say um, the father of the fatherless. And then also God is the protector of widows. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of this image that's set up in these verses that the man is the one who is absent for whatever reason, whether by fault of his own or not. So it could be death. Like it could be, they were separated or, but it could be, he abandoned them. Like it's truly not known. And I think that's kind of the point here is it's actually not important. The reason why it's the fact that God fills that instead, he is your forever father, regardless of what has happened to your earthly father, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, or even if he's passed on, that God ultimately fulfills that. And I think Jesus really reiterates that when he says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, because he knew, Jesus knew that his absence would kind of create a vacuum of of guidance, Mm -hmm. compassion, and strength in the disciples. I mean, they've been with him last couple of years, seeing him do amazing things. And that their life was so tied to his it was I I mean I would imagine that when he was gone it's just kind of like what do we do now like right the guy we've been following around is gone I mean so it sets us this up this image that's consistent throughout the psalms and then even here in John and Jesus's words that like when men are absent from the home and from the family it creates that vacuum of strength and compassion and of guidance and of comfort even when you're talking about um, fatherlessness being comfortlessness it's just mm-hmm. really interesting to me because i've i've never really thought it conceptualized that way but i i look at our society and i really see i see that i see that when men are absent like it creates all these like trickle down problems. And it's not to say that when the mother is absent, that that doesn't happen, but specifically speaking to the charge that men have, we talked about this in our previous episodes, the, the role of the man and the importance that he holds in the family. So God is saying, even without saying he's showing, instead of telling like men are so pivotally important to our structure in society. And this is why they're called to such a high standard of, of leading their families. And so when they're gone, it, like so many problems entail. So that's just really interesting Mm -hmm. to me and what I kind of got out of reading through those passages. Yeah. I also think, you know, it's important to mention that when we talk about God being our father, we're talking about him being the perfect and good father, good heavenly father. Um, Because I know a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have a good experience with their earthly father um, or, you know, they don't have experience with one at all, you know, because they have left their lives, um, or, you know, they're abusive or they're angry or they're never home or they're working all the time or, um, you know, what have you, um, it's important to mention like God does not model those things. Um, if anything, those are broken images of what a father is supposed to be. Yeah. I, I like that you added that. I think that's really important. One thing that I was even thinking too, when we were going through those Psalm passages was that, I think it could be really tempting to feel like God's the reason why God's the reason why something is absent or not right in my life. But throughout the scriptures, you actually see God's the one who's coming to the aid of people who have actually hurt each other. So whether it's through abandonment or through death, through the fall or being absent for whatever reason, there might not be a father figure or even a mother figure. God 
comes in and he fulfills that like the vacuum again that's left and instead of thinking okay like god's the reason why i don't have like being angry at him and thinking that he's the source of the problems i think that can be a temptation um but in these passages and psalms we see like god's the one who's coming to their aid it says god settles the solitary in a home he leads out the prisoners to prosperity um it, it says that the Lord will take me in, in a Psalms 27, 10, when the psalmist is writing that, that his parents have, have forsaken him. And then the other passages, it's God commanding people to do justice and to do right by people who are fatherless or, or orphans and, and don't have, you know, are destitute in their circumstances. So I think that's really important because when we talk about broken families, it's important to attribute the reason why families are broken to the right thing. And um, not to God. Cause when we attribute that brokenness to him, we have that fractured view of God that will then cause us to kind of like, you know, pull back from him when he is described as our father. And when he's described as, um, all the things that we associate negatively, uh, with our earthly life here. And so I did want to kind of mention, I mean, we as Christians know this, but like, why wouldn't someone have their parents? Because we live in this broken, fallen world. I mean, the first broken family we actually see is Adam and Eve's family. They were the first family, and you even see brokenness within them. A Cain kills his brother Abel out of anger and spite, and the effects of the fall are already apparent as soon as Adam and Eve sin because they realize they are naked, they're ashamed. Um, and the fall resulted in all those things, death, disease, abandonment, uh, abuse, neglect, lack of ability to provide, uh, lack of resources, all those things, that list goes on and on for why someone might not have a parent in their life. And again, we can, we can attribute that all back to the fall, the brokenness of the world we see around us. And it's just so, so critical that we don't attribute that to God, because I think that can make us bitter, that can make us resentful, but it's actually a reminder that God is the one who provides and protects in that brokenness amidst that darkness. Um, and so when we look at the foster care system today, the adoption process, uh, orphans today, like our hearts just can't help but break because we know that it wasn't supposed to be that way. Uh, there was never supposed to be a child without their parents. It was God never created the world to be that way. So again, just so important that we know why, to know mm-hmm. the why behind things. It's sad because obviously the foster care system and even sometimes adoption, it's like are things that maybe shouldn't have been necessary, like from the beginning, like, you know, but because of the fall, it's like now they are. And I mean, I think that adoption specifically is like such a beautiful thing, you know, that someone is taking a child that needs a home and making them part of their family. Like, I really do think that that is such a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Um, but I do also know, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that sometimes adoption and foster care, foster care, probably more often than adoption, of course. Um, but definitely foster care can be, uh, also very corrupted and it can, you know, not serve its purpose in the right way or in the best way. I wanted to add something to what you said, because I think that is really cool. What you said the adoption is like, we can actually see adoption, and I mean, even foster care in the right circumstances with the right people, it's actually saving grace from God. It's another way that he provides for us in the, like in the darkness and the brokenness and the sin that we caused. So mm-hmm. I think that's just, it's, it's interesting to kind of see it as both almost like a problem, but then also a saving grace. Um, yeah. My pastor on Sunday was talking about how 
Um, the same word that is used for hard and difficult in the Bible is the same word that's actually used to describe Jesus as wonderful and counselor. Um, so wonderful and hard are like the same thing in the Bible. And so God doesn't look at something that's challenging or difficult as something that's impossible or even right. like, um, like a, a block to his plans or anything like that. It's actually the way in which he carries out his plan. So adoption and foster care might look like a bad thing, but it's actually a way that God will utilize his people and like show his glory. So I wanted to add that, like, I'm not trying to paint foster care and adoption in a negative light, but again, just to know like why it exists, why fatherlessness is even a thing in our world. Yeah. Going off of that, um, we did kind of want to talk about like some, uh, just data that has to do with the foster care system specifically, um, just to kind of give an idea of like where we're at with that as a yeah. society. Um, cause we often hear like the foster care system is broken. Um, so we're not here to necessarily contest that idea because I do think that there are good homes in foster care and there are some not so good homes in foster care. Um, however, we are here to contest that like that's all there is to it, that it's just bad. So we often see like this phrase, like the foster care system is broken um, to argue certain points about abortion or family relationships or gender theology, what have you. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, we really must examine it closer because um, we've discussed why fatherlessness exists. So like, what are people doing about that today, basically? So um, just looking at, uh, they're like an official list. Basically it's called the AFCARS S report. And it basically just kind of explains it's from the children's birth, excuse me. It's from the U S department of, of health and human services, um, in the children's bureau. So we kind of just wanted to explain some of the numbers off of that. I found it kind of shocking because I feel like the numbers are actually very consistent yeah. over the last, like, Four years. Five, six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, because between 2016 and 2020, um, the number of kids in foster care remained like relatively the same. Because mm -hmm. um, all of those years, it was about when they took this um, census, basically, it was about 400,000, give or take. So that's interesting. Like it's definitely remained the same from 2016 to 2020 is where this kind of cuts off. Um, I, I do kind of wonder if it changed throughout like 2020 to 2022, just because of everything yeah. happened with COVID. But um, I mean, this was also taken September 30th. So that was after right. COVID had started happening. So, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about. Um, I also found it interesting. So looking at the age of children that are in foster care, the highest percentage of children that are put into the foster care system are one to two years. Oh, very, very like young. my heart. Yeah, that's very, very young. And honestly, the like runner-up numbers are less than one year mm -hmm. and three years. So basically yeah. like children three and under are the most prominent in the foster care system, mm -hmm. which is so young. Also, it's about half and half when it comes to male or female. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's not really like a an overarching like one or the other that tends to go into foster care. It's about half and half. I also found it interesting that the amount of children that go into specific placements, um, for instance, like a foster family home is the highest percentage, but 
despite that, uh, or not despite that, but also like along with that non-relative foster family homes are actually the highest percentage of where children are placed when they go into the foster care system. So that means that like, I mean, the runner up to that is someone that they know, like a relative. Um, however, it's just interesting to see like more than that, like more kids than that go into homes that they just don't know the people. Yeah. Like they don't know them at all. They're not relatives in any way. They're not related to them in any way. And then lastly, I just kind of wanted to talk about the case plan goals um, that are listed here. So basically like the main goal in any child that's in foster care is to be reunited with their parents or their primary caretakers if they can be. But the next runner up to that is adoption. Like the next, you know, plan for them or the next goal for kids would be to be adopted if that's not possible. Yeah. I'm really grateful you mentioned that because I I do feel like Honestly, I do feel like just the phrase, the foster care system is broken. A lot of people repeat it because they do know people that have been through the foster care system who had bad experiences. So I'm not at all negating the experience that like if if you have gone through a negative experience, that is not all being negated or minimized right now. What I am saying is that I think that phrase is weaponized for people just to just like throw it around and to suit Mm -hmm. whatever particular thing they're trying to say at that moment. And like you mentioned, it could be. Uh, it should it could be commentary on abortion it could be about families like it could be about gender ideology and like any anything really I feel like kids in foster care are just constantly used as like a talking point for people on both sides of political aisle and I mean honestly I don't know how much time people have to actually go and look at these reports I don't know how many people who have used that phrase against me in conversations go to this kind of stuff and look at this type of information. We'll definitely be linked in case you're curious uh, to go look at it. But that's why I think it's really important to look at these things together, even if we're not going to read every single word of the reports, just to be kind of a little bit more familiar with this kind of information before we start calling ourselves like experts on anything. Because I'm certainly, even after this day and this research, I'm not an expert on this topic by any means. It's just something I've looked into slightly more. I've done a little bit of clicking. I went on the Department of Health and Human Services page and there's just like a wealth of information that's on there. So I would just definitely encourage you to, to do that. If there's any topic that you're interested in, like there is just so much information out there. Mm-hmm. And I do find it really interesting when I was looking through some of the research too, that a, most all the time, I mean, 50% of the goal for most foster care children is to reunite them with their birth parents and have a stable home. And one yeah. of the things I was looking at too is uh, just the amount of re-entry and reunification. So reunification is the phrase that's used for uh, bringing the child back into their family, like their original birth parents and their nuclear family genetically. And then the um, re-entry is the phrase used for when they're put placed back in the foster care system, whether it's a new home, um, back with previous foster parents, a lot of the times foster parents are actually relatives of the birth parents. Um, and you just see a lot of the time this back and forth between foster care reentry, unification. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. if reunification has happened too early, reentry has a much higher risk of happening. Um, and it um, there is one uh, 
case that I was looking at that said foster care reentry is pretty common among reunified families, particularly where substance abuse and mental health problems are present. Um, currently, each state's CPS system has a strong policy-driven and well-intentioned emphasis on quickly returning children home from foster care. However, children are often being too often being reunified only to re-enter foster care at a later date. So mm-hmm. and when you look at these statistics and you see that there are this breakdown of different um, ages across the, the children that are in foster care right now, that's some of the stuff here that you're seeing is that children are placed back in their original homes and it was either too early or the issues that caused the child to be placed in foster care are not resolved and yeah. it causes re-entry. And that creates that creates a lot of pretty lasting damage in someone to be to be moved around. Um, it, yeah. It's kind of that feeling of being unwanted. My younger brothers, who are adopted now, but they were placed through different foster care homes uh, several times when they were younger. Like, they were toddlers. I would say, I, I can't remember exactly how old they were when they came home and, like, became our, we became their forever family. But I do remember just how how incredibly long it took them to trust us and to think that they were actually going to be around because they were constantly mm-hmm. being pulled between different families and staying with these just wonderful couples and then being placed back in the foster care system. And the foster care home they were in was great. It was great, but that doesn't change the amount of emotional damage that occurs when you're bounced around over and over again. And you get super used to and attached to a couple and they're giving you back. Like, it's just really, it creates a really lasting impact. And then we see that with the foster care system today. Um, and they were even talk about talking about in one of the other studies I looked at, and we'll make sure to link all this um, just so that, you know, we're not talking out of thin air here, but um, one of the studies they conducted 150 interviews um, back in 2014 and 2015 with foster parents uh, in the U S Midwest. And they were trying to measure how uh, different placements could kind of impact the child and also the foster care parents. And really what they found was that having previous parenting experience, having seasoned parents uh, was like a critical precursor for the placement outcomes. So for making sure that children were going to have a successful experience. And so there's just so many different things that both the child, the foster care parents, and then the original parents are also all going through. It's it's such a complex process to kind of estimate, you know, are the parents ready? Is the child ready for reunification? Is this going to result in reentry? And I mean, there are definitely some circumstances. I I do think even reunification shouldn't be the goal because for whatever reason, the parents are not prepared or able to take care of that child. So like, this is why it's important. This is why this kind of information is so important to go over because it gives us a real picture of what's going on in the U.S. And it helps us as both as citizens and as Christians and citizens of heaven to just be aware of what's going on around us Uh, because- Mm -hmm. There's just so many things that they're experiencing throughout this time. Um, and it's just important, again, like we mentioned really at the top of this episode, to be that light, to be just shedding light wherever you go, because you just never really know what someone's going through or what their family history has been. Um, so not not good to assume that someone has a bad home life or a good one. Just like, again, shedding that light and being just the salt and the light wherever we go. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think even just looking at like these numbers, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, like for instance, it says that the age of entry, like the highest percentage, is less than one year. Yeah, um, of children in foster care, and then on top of that, it also says that like neglect and drug abuse are the highest yep. 
uh, reasons, the highest circumstances that children are removed from in their right. original homes. And so like that all together, plus like what you were saying before about the fact that uh, reunification happens and then a lot of times reentry happens if is substance abuse involved. And that's like the second highest reason why children right. are taken out of their parents' home. So it's like children are entered into the system most of the time, like not all all of children, of course, but like the highest number of children are entered into the system when they wouldn't even remember being mm-hmm. entered into the system. Right. And then like, just through these numbers, we can see that they are probably re-entered into it mm-hmm. if they were taken from one of the highest, you know, statistically proven reasons for being put into the system in the first place. So like, right. basically that just kind of tells you it's like a recipe for them just like constantly being put back into it if they are reunified mm-hmm. with their parent because, um, you know, those addictions and those things are a lot of times recurring in people's right. lives. You know, like there are, it's like a constant battle. It's not just like something that they deal with once they get over and then they move on. So right. um, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. And so children end up taking a good, you know, bit of trauma and hardship from that because they're just constantly put into the system. Um, and, you know, not that it, it's always a bad thing, not that every foster home is a bad home. I know of a lot of good ones, actually, people that have done, um, you know, foster care for many, many years and are amazing foster parents. But just the fact that like, it kind of places this mentality in their head that no one's going to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are always going to be leaving or they're always going to have to leave them. Um, you know, what have you. So it's definitely not a perfect system. Um, but I do also think that like, there are ways that we can help. And one of the ways is just being informed. So we know like where these children are coming from when we do approach them and we do talk to them about their background and where they've come from. So we're not just kind of like coming, not knowing anything <laughs> about right. what they might've been through. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I like that you mentioned the circumstances of the, the child's removal from the home. So neglect, like you mentioned, is the highest one and that counts for 64% and drug abuse of the parent. It doesn't clarify if it's one or both, but drug abuse present in the parents, 35%. And the list goes on to talk about different other reasons why children are removed from the home. The list is extensive. Yeah. It takes up like half, you know, a third of a page. And um, one thing that is important, again, to note is that these categories aren't mutually exclusive, like the report says. So the percentages will total more than 100% if you do go look at this. So neglect and drug abuse, although that like totals to such a high percentage, it's that both those things can be present at the same time. And often they are. And like I yeah. mentioned from that previous research study that when when there is substance abuse and mental health present, it just creates a really high risk for uh, the child cycling through uh, the homes. And so one thing too, I wanted to mention is that I don't really feel like that substance abuse is absent from mental health. They're inextricably intertwined. Like if, if, you know, if you have substance abuse, a lot of times it is tied to mental illness. And so like when those things are present in the parents, they aren't able to cope. They aren't able to take care of the child. And so again, if the child is placed back in the home before they are ready, the parents are ready or the child is ready it kind of comes back through. And I did mention earlier in this episode as well, that the reason that somebody might not be, um, you know, a child will be taken away is because a parent has died. And that's definitely part of the fall is just seeing uh, death and destruction. But even in this report that we're looking at from 2020, that accounted for only, um, only 1% 
of, yeah. of those child removal. So often, often what you're seeing is that children are either being neglected or abused or just completely abandoned. And so not to minimize how, you know, like how impactful it is when a parent passes away, but just really what we're seeing is the failure, like, of right. like the brokenness of the world and the failure of the families to be what the God intended them to be in the first place. So it's, it's really heartbreaking, but it's important to look at this and not to shy away from what we're seeing here. Yeah. I mean, there are of course, very positive experiences as well with yeah. both adoption and with foster care. Um, like I know that you've experienced a very yeah. positive experience with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you want to share like, your experience with adoption? For sure. For sure. So I was born in Vietnam. That's my ethnicity. And at the time, the parents, the parents that I have right now are living in the U.S. So they were in missions at that time. I think that my dad was running the church that he had planted with, I think, one of his best friends. Uh, so I think that that was what they were doing at the time. And they um, had already had three children. Uh, They had just like, they had had three children biologically. And then they had adopted one child already, who's my older brother from Vietnam. So they had adopted once already. Um, So right at that current moment, their family was two parents and four kids with the youngest being adopted. And then uh, they got the call to adopt me, kind of the call from God. And I was adopted when I, I think I was just still a baby. I always mix it up because I know that one of us was closer to like six months and one of us was closer to 10 months. I don't remember. But the point is that we were both really young. And mm-hmm. so obviously we do not remember anything. Uh, essentially what I know about the way that I was given up for adoption was that my birth mother was not able to care for me. And for whatever reason, whether it was financial or, I mean, maybe she was not in a good situation. We don't know anything about my birth father, but she had left me at the hospital after giving birth to me. And the individuals at the hospital uh, gave me to the orphanage. That's what you call it. It's like the adoption place. (laughs) That's not right. So they gave me up to the orphanage, um, which is how like the system through which my parents found me and adopted me. And I think I was adopted and everything was officially finalized. And I got to come home to the U.S. where my parents were living um, in Colorado and be part of the family when I think I was two years old or a little bit younger. Um, I think I was younger than that. But I I mean, everything I know is just like from what I've been told, mm-hmm. obviously, because I can't remember any of this. Um, so I think I was younger than that. And then... Um, oh yeah. So actually it was two years old when we ended up moving to the Philippines. So I was adopted much younger than that. When I was two years old, um, my family got the, my parents got the call to go to go into the missions field. And we moved to the Philippines where we adopted my two younger brothers, uh, from, uh, the Philippines. They are biologically related. They have the same, uh, birth parents. Um, so my, myself and my older brother are the only people in the family who aren't biologically related to anyone else. So at this point, our family is now three biological kids and then four adopted kids. And to this day, I do not know anything about my birth parents. Um, there's actually, it was actually funny because for my graduation college gift, one of my friends gave me a 23andMe <laughs> where you can you know, figure out your ancestry. And I had it for a long time and I really appreciate the gift. It was something I had really wanted. And I actually, I just kept it for so long. and didn't take it because I was so nervous that I was going to find out 
something I just didn't want to know, like whether it was tragic or whether it was great. Like, I don't know what I, what I thought was going to happen. And to this day, I actually haven't taken it. I mean, you know, updates on that will come if, if that ever happens, <laughs> but essentially I just kind of knew that what I know about my life right now is all that I really need to know. Like, I, I don't think I ne- would have been a Christian if I had grown up in, uh, in Asia. And Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents, like the parents that I have right now have always been my parents since I was a baby. I've never known anything different. And I know that in a lot of times when you are adopted earlier and you know, differently, there is that feeling of abandonment, that feeling of like, nobody wanted me, especially if you are familiar with your birth parents, if you know them. So my experience with adoption is really, really positive. Like my parents were really strong Christians and, you know, taught us the faith. And I grew up with a really strong faith because of it. They always instilled biblical principles in us. And I couldn't, I genuinely could not have asked for a better family. Truly. I mean, with all of its like hardships and all of its struggles being present and also being really unconventional family where like we all look very differently from each other. And sometimes it's hard to explain like, yeah, my brother is white and he doesn't look anything like me, but he's just as much my brother as <laughs> like any, any brother would ever be as if we'd been born right. same parents. And I think that it's not that it's obviously not that if that's not your situation that you can't understand the goodness of God in adopting you, but it just be so as another layer of reality and meaning for you if you are adopted. And I think if you're adopted, you'll know what I'm saying, because it's again, like you didn't provide benefit to that person. Like they chose to take you in and to raise mm-hmm. you and to put their time and resources and emotional energy and everything into you just so that you could have a good life. And that's exactly what God does for us. So there's that like that other layer that's just so real to you when you are adopted to, to know that. And so it's something I've always appreciated, something I've always been so grateful for to be adopted. Um, I know it's not that easy for everyone else that's adopted, but I like to share this story because it I think it helps remind people that adoption isn't a bad thing all the time. Like it can be great. It can be wonderful. Um, with the right people and the right circumstances and that God really used it to, to bring me to him because otherwise I don't, I don't think I would have known him. So Mm -hmm. that's my adoption story. (laughs) I love that. It's beautiful. I I didn't actually know that your parents adopted Mm -hmm. more than one kid. I thought it like, it was like they had some kids and then they adopted you. So that's really cool that they adopted a bunch of kids. Yeah. Us adopted, like there's four of us and then three biological. So we technically outnumber them. You yeah, know, and we're all the younger <laughs> half of the family too, which is also fun. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, I personally am not adopted, <laughs> never been in foster care, but um, I mean, I have kind of seen where it can be good and where it can be bad. Yeah. I've not, to be honest, I've never heard like a bad adoption story just because adoption is so hard and it costs so much money that oh, I feel yeah. like usually people don't actually go through that process unless they like really want to, you know, they have the best intentions, you know? Um, whereas foster care is kind of another, another story. Like, again, I haven't been in it, but, um, the people who take in foster kids do get a small amount of money for doing so. And so that can, of course, prompt people as very 
uh, you know, we're all human beings who love mm-hmm. money and have a lot of greed. <laughs> and so that can definitely prompt people to do some very evil things. So, however, some people really do enter that system as foster parents because they genuinely want to help mm-hmm. and they want to love kids and they want to honestly just like show them that people can be present in your life and like stay right. and, you know, really love on them and, you know, hopefully point them to Jesus. Like, um, there was one family that I knew growing up in my church because my church had a very prominent foster care ministry and they basically connected a lot of kids with foster care or foster care, foster care families <laughs> that were from the church. Um, you know, they were good people. They were people who genuinely loved the Lord and wanted to help these kids. Um, and, So they had like a really good system going on. And there was one family that like has consistently done foster care for for like years and years. Like they have so much experience Um, and they've done such a beautiful job of taking in kids of literally all ages and adopting several of them (laughs) to just, you know, give them a home and like show them that um, there are good homes in that system and truly love on them. And their daughter, even she's like our age. So she's like in her twenties and she actually kind of took it upon herself to, uh, create like a group home for teenage girls Mm -hmm. that are in the foster care system. So she's actually a foster parent. And, uh, I mean, she has a little bit of a different situation in her home because it's not just like kids of all ages. It's not all genders, but it is like a lot of the foster kids that tend to be neglected a lot of the times because they're older. They're not like as prone to adoption because adoption again is such a long process and a difficult process that a lot of times if kids are like 16 17 people don't consider adopting them because they're about to be 18 they're about to be legal anyways mm-hmm. um so she has a group home for teenage girls where she takes them in and again just like really tries to love on them and like be basically like an older sister to them you know like a foster mom to them um and just like love on them point them to jesus And I love that. I think that's so inspiring and beautiful. And then honestly, I have known some not so great stories too, unfortunately, like me and my husband used to do youth ministry. He was the youth pastor at our last church. And um, I won't say her name, you know, for privacy purposes, but we did have a student that had been through the foster care system most of her life um, until she, you know, finally was out of it basically. And she had been through the foster care system and for years, and she had some very like horrendous, very scary Mm -hmm. experiences in her time. And I remember like one of the main things that just kind of stuck out to me when I knew her was like, or not when I knew her, but when like we saw her every week was just the fact that like, she truly did believe and it was kind of ingrained in her mind that like people don't stay. Like no one ever stays. Like they always just leave like at some point. And I remember like us telling her, like, we're not going anywhere. Like we're not going to leave, you know, like we're, we're here for the long haul. Like we're not going to leave you. Like that's not like us. Like we're not going to do that to you. And I remember her just kind of like, you know, kind of like nodding, like, uh uh-huh, you know, like she's heard that a million times and stuff. And it just honestly was so heartbreaking to me because I was just like, I want her to believe that. But honestly, I really do think when it comes to her situation, the only way she's going to believe that is if we show her, Mm -hmm. you know, over time. Um, And we have like continued to see her every once in a while. We have her over sometimes and stuff, even though we're no longer like doing youth ministry Mm -hmm. at that church and everything. But um, yeah, so I think like, Just all of that to say, 
I think it really has just kind of impressed upon my heart that like people in the church specifically who are called into that, please step up and do it. Or if you're wondering about it, or if you have questions about it, or that's something you think you could be interested in, or you know someone who could be, like, please step up into that. Like, step into that role and, like, begin to go, I think, into that direction. Because I really do think that it's so important for there to be a significant amount of good foster homes, you know, for kids to come to. Like, even if they are in a place where they're going back and forth. And even if they go back and forth out of your home, you know, at least they have like a place where they know that they can be loved and cared for and safe. So I think that just like was kind of like something that stuck out to me when just thinking about these really good families that had foster homes and adopted kids or just loved on kids for the short time that they had them. And then knowing people that didn't have a good experience and what kind of damage that did to them, um, you know, throughout time. And like, if they had had a better home growing up, maybe they would have thought of people differently, you know? So yeah, I don't know if I have any other thoughts on that, but just kind of, I guess, a little nudge that if you have ever considered that, you know, maybe let this be a, a reminder to actually right. look into that, like start walking into that calling. Right. Or like, even if you don't have the resources to be a foster parent or what, you know, what, whatever it may be, or be involved in a super deep way. I think what you said was really profound, even just the, the ability that we have as people to change how they perceive others or their relationship with others. Like the way we treat people truly can create ripple effects in their life and change the way that they view people. Like if you stick around, that can break that chain or that cycle of someone thinking that everyone leaves, like nobody sticks around. Eventually you're going to get tired of me. You're going to go or something else is going to be more important than you're going to choose that over me. It's again, just a reminder to us as believers, regardless of our station, our vocation, whatever God has us doing at the moment that we still have that power to change how people perceive the world and relationships and perceive God, even God can use us to be, to do amazing things for him and to represent him. So and again, like you have no idea what someone's family life would, is like. It's not like that, that's going to be always the first thing they tell you when they meet you. So just again, to I mean, I've been saying this the entire episode, but just again, like to treat people well and treat them right because you just don't know. And you don't know the positive impact you could have on people. You also don't know the lasting negative one that you could also have on people. So just mm-hmm. like James was talking about. And those verses that we read at the beginning is just to have that undefiled faith that's only serving God and that to not be afraid to like walk into the dark places and wade into that, that suffering, because you can be the light. You could be, you could be genuinely the reason why someone starts to believe that people are going to stick around. So that's an encouragement. That's us trying to just like edify you to remind you of the impact that we have on each other to speak up when you feel like you're being called to do that, to say the thing that the Holy Spirit's prompting you to say or to like volunteer to serve at the thing that you kind of feel like you're being nudged towards doing. Jeez, we just want to encourage you in that because like if if my parents hadn't answered that call or listened to God, I genuinely wouldn't be here. So mm-hmm. those those things really matter. Like answering God and just saying yes, I'll do it really matters. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it doesn't have to be as big as like being a foster parent. Like if that or is adopting that someone. <laughs> yeah. Like if that is definitely like something that you feel like God has put on your heart, like for sure. And we move towards that, you know, like start doing for research, sure. start looking into it. 
um, if you can at this time in your life. But that could be as simple as having someone over for dinner that you know, like has been through that or just like coming alongside someone as they go through that, like, you know, being that figure for them, like Mm -hmm. that stable figure for them that just kind of like doesn't leave, you know, when they think that you're going to like, yeah, basically just like taking part in that in any way that you can and showing people kindness and inviting them into your family, even if that doesn't mean permanently. Absolutely. And amen. Well, that is what we have time for today, guys. We're so glad that you joined us for this episode. This topic is very meaningful to both of us. So we're just so glad that you joined. Um, Make sure to join us next week for our next episode and make sure to catch us on Instagram at Cedar and Cypress pod. Or if you want to share questions or suggest an episode topic, you can be sure to reach us at Cedar and Cypress pod at gmail.com. We will see you next time. 